1: Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Every week, The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, actors, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager of Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Um dia! Tonight <laughs> we are happy to have with us Jimmy Diggs, a screenwriter who has written several episodes of Star Trek Voyager and uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, am I correct? That's correct. And the actor who played Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, the Velvet Vulcan himself, Tim Russ. They're here this evening to, uh, with us to talk about their new project, The Crypto Historians. And the logline for that is... In the crypto historians, writer producer Jimmy Diggs, sometimes called the Jackie Robinson of Star Trek writers, and veteran actor Tim Russ Tuvok of Star Trek Voyager, have joined forces in this Build Your Own Adventure series that chronicles the exploits of a band of time travelers as the fight to save Earth's future by protecting its past. Welcome to the show, guys. Glad to My have you here. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. So, Very happy to be here. <laughs> so let's uh let's get right to the nuts and bolts tell us about crypto historians
2: go ahead jimmy well um in the crypto historians uh we start off from the premise that everything that hg wells wrote about was true the war of the royals um the island of dr moreau the invisible man it was all true and he sort of wrote a novel and changed the names to predict the guilty kind of thing. Well, since everything that he wrote is true, uh, the horrific fact is that the Martians are real and that they're coming back. Uh, our story starts off based on the, at least the uh, preface of the story starts off when Wells gets into the time machine that he co-invents with Nikola Tesla. They take off into the future they see an unusual energy signature in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 1938, on Halloween night. And when they investigate it, they find that the Martians are in the full swing of their first invasion. But they see that the Martians get sick and die, and they see the United States government hire Orson Welles to create a fictitious radio program to cover up the real invasion. Well, over the one, <laughs> well, over the next 100 intervening years, the Martians. Facing their own extinction, clearly they wouldn't just give up. So they start to investigate why their first invasion failed. They mutilate cattle. They abduct human beings. One of their spacecraft crashes in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. And in about 2020, they attack again. And this time they successfully wipe us out. But they've let us get too advanced. We nuke Mars and totally destroy it. But Wells, who was one of the first utopians, is horrified by this and realizes that he cannot let a uh, a solar system that once housed two great civilizations simply die away. So he comes up with an audacious plan. He pillages the battlefields of Earth in 2020 for all of the advanced Martian and human technology he can get his hands on. He takes it back to 1893. And with the help of the greatest minds of his time. And funding from the Freemasons, of course. He builds a spaceship unlike anything that has ever been conceived of before. A ship that incorporates Martian science and human technology from the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. A ship that has wooden decks and brass portholes and red leather crash couches. But it also has biological Martian energy sources. It has holographic imagers and Windows operating systems. <laughs> and with this ship...
0: <laughs> and
2: with this that, ship...
1: And, and sh- that's the, the dooming factor that... <laughs> that yeah, right the,
2: there. They're, <laughs> they're about to attack uh, you know, and the
1: ship blue screens. <laughs> every
2: every idol has its clay feet, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, with this great ship, they travel to Mars in 1893 to stop the War of the Worlds before it starts. Now... That's the epic tableau. And sure, for a great science fiction story, you've got to have something like this. But in any story, it's always the characters that make the difference. And it's the characters that go with Wells on his adventure that uh, bring it to life. And this is the thing that makes our series so unique and so different. Um, all, many of these characters have always been... I mean, it's always been known that they lived in the same time. But they've never been shown together, and they've never been shown at these stages of their development. So the hero, of course, on this great expedition is H.G. Wells and his best friend, Nikola Tesla, is 40 years old, and President Grover Cleveland, uh, in order to look out for the interest of the United States in this expedition, sends 45-year-old Colonel Teddy Roosevelt. The scientist that unravels the secret of the Martian energy source is 35-year-old George Washington Carver. The woman who invents the um, the atomic boiler is a very hot 28-year-old Madame Marie Curie. A covert operative for the Freemasons comes along. Uh, he's sort of like James Bond circa 1893, and he is Harry Houdini. And they build the spaceship in Mexico. Uh, The Martians found out about it. They tried to destroy the vessel, and in so doing, kill many of this character's compatriots. And in the name of Mexico, he swears vengeance on Mars, and that is 18-year-old Pancho Villa.
3: (laughs) He would do it, (laughs) too.
2: Yes, exactly. So here are all these great historical characters. Um, They're the primary characters of of this feature film at first. And... uh, this develops into a television series in which many other historical characters come in and out. For instance, we have two episodes with Sigmund Freud. We have two episodes with Mark Twain. We have one episode with 16-year-old Albert Einstein. One with a 22-year-old dashing British cavalry officer named Winston Churchill. Uh, mm-hmm. And one with 8-year-old Adolf Hitler. So, no, you uh, can't kill him. He, <laughs> oh, pardon?
3: Can't kill pardon? Hitler. He's too big a part of history.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't forget him. And but what would eight year old Ad- Adolf Hitler be like? A okay. you kid. Know? Okay. Yeah, so, a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of kid too. So anyway, um, here's the these are all the historical characters that, that set up the adventure. Now, while they may or may not have saved the earth, they formed a an organization. Dedicated to the preservation of the human timeline. And that organization is called the Crypto Historical Society of the Americas. And when our television series, Crypto Historians, begins, um, we're not sure they were successful or not. They may have been successful. They may have failed because there's, there are some peculiarities about quantum physics. And one of the theories of quantum physics, they said, whenever you make a decision, Uh, There are perhaps an infinite number of choices or outcomes based on that decision. And the crypto historians call this the tree of destiny. And imagine a tree with several limbs and branches bursting out from it. And on each leaf, each leaf is considered a, a certain individual destiny for mankind. Well, some of the branches lead to dead ends. Some of the leaves are dead. But the crypto historians believe that at the top of this tree, there must be one bright, golden, shining leaf, the best of all possible destinies for mankind. And that is the destiny that the crypto historians are sworn to bring mankind to. So um, as the crypto historians begins, we don't know if Wells and his group were successful. Even if they were successful... They may have departed in their own timeline and then left the timeline that we're viewing here sort of like high and dry. And the individuals in this timeline decided they're not going to allow this to happen. They, they're going to shape their destiny just as well as in the rest have shaped theirs. And one of the first missions we, we get involved in, we find out that the Martians launched another cylinder, this time way in advance of 1938. And this cylinder has landed in no man's land in World War One. And so one of our principal characters goes back in time to find this cylinder and deal with it. But because it's landed in no man's land in World War One, I, I mean in nineteen seventeen, you can see the problems he's got. Oh uh, yeah, to right? say the least. To so, say the least. So he steals an albatross <clears throat> from the German side takes off to scout the no man's land and find the crash Martian cylinder, when all of a sudden a spad thirteen comes out of the clouds and starts shooting at him. And in the cockpit of this SPAD thirteen is a member of the Lafayette Escadrille, the noted World War One fighting ace, Eugene Jacques Goulard. So they get into a dogfight and uh they both end up shooting each other down in the middle of no man's land. And the member from, you know, from our group, from our time, has got to try to explain to Eugene Jacques Boulard that he's there to stop a Martian invasion and that he's from the future.
1: Uh, good you... luck.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's got, <laughs> he's got to explain this to Tim Russ. While they're down in the middle of No Man's Land getting shot at by Germans on one side and the French on the other. Aha,
3: uh-huh. okay. You know, so, yeah. Eugene Jacques Boulard is a real person.
2: Absolutely. That's the one thing about our television series that um, we're, we're adamant about. There are no fictional characters. All of the characters have to be historical characters that actually lived at one point in time. And uh, Eugene Jacques Boulard, this time, is about 22 years old. Uh he's had an incredible life, um, stowing away aboard a ship at the age of 10 to wind up in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, Scotland at 12. And finally, by the age of 16 and 15, to finally make his way to France as a prize fighter. And uh, he loved France. He loved everything about France. He had made it his new home. And so when World War One broke out, it was only natural that he would rise up to the defense of the nation that he loved. And he was actually involved in the, um, the Battle of Verdun, where he went into battle with 500 of his compatriots, and only 35 men survived. Well, at that point, he left the infantry and then became a pilot. And at the time, he was the only African-American pilot on the face of the planet.
3: African-French. Wow. Yeah.
2: African-American. He was from He it was from, from Georgia. America- Okay. He was from Georgia. Wow. He ran away from home at 10 years That's old and fled to
1: What an amazing story. So, uh, Tim, are you involved in the writing as well? or?
0: Uh, no, I'm just working as, uh, as an actor on this project and potentially on the line I might be uh, directing one of the episodes as well.
2: well. He's got a lot of input. He's got a lot of input there. We've talked about the character and a lot of Tim's ideas are coming through into the script. <coughs>
0: So, yeah, I mean that's going to be part of the process anyway. You know, as far as actual, as far as the character goes, we'll we'll uh, work with the character. You know, tweak it, uh, modify him. You know, and and come up with our own sort of version of who he is. But once we get it on its feet and working, uh, a lot of those things happen uh, organically as we get uh, you know on the set and things like that. So uh, there'll be some of that. But as far as actually writing the story and all that good stuff, it's uh, it's left up to the writers, man. Those guys know what they're doing.
1: So how far along is this project? in terms of going from concept to being on the screen?
2: Well, right now we've, uh, we're getting ready to start our Kickstarter funding drive. But, uh, even before that happens, a huge amount of this is already in place. (coughs) Um, I'm well along on the story. Uh, we've already decided that, uh, actually this was going to be episode number two. And, uh, because of Tim's involvement and, uh, his his uh his energy and his enthusiasm for the character, we decided to make it episode one. And it's also gonna be our Christmas episode. And I'm not gonna tell you why because that would kind of uh you know, blow the whistle on our Dano Ma, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But but uh
3: like see uh, and the Red Baron at Christmas, that's it.
2: <laughs> it's gonna be a bit better than that. But okay. anyway, um uh Tim is is uh has been very enthusiastic for this character and he's, uh, he's brought a lot to the game and a lot to the table. And because of that, we felt, well, you know what? We really can't bring him. And besides, we're also planning on him being in episode five and six, but, um, we, we can't really, uh, we realized we really couldn't just bring Tim on board and not make his episode episode number one. And, uh, all we've, we've got tons of resources that are already coming into play. Believe it or not, we aren't even funded yet, and we've already got uh, some of the CGI components already constructed. We've got uh, wardrobe coming in for the French uh, for the French uh, soldiers, uh, wardrobe coming in for the German soldiers, complete with all of their weaponry. And uh, right now, we're we're scouting out locations uh, for our no man's land. And uh, I'm I'm amazed at how, how quickly all this stuff is coming together. But uh, hopefully, our Kickstarter drive will, will start in about 30 days from now for a grand fundraiser in Glendale, California. And from there, what we figure a uh, 30 day funding drive, 30 to 60 day funding mm-hmm. drive. And by then, our pre production will already be concluded. So I'm hoping we start shooting in September, going to post in October, and this thing will be ready for Christmas.
3: So uh, let's see. And where will we be seeing this?
2: Well, my original plan is uh, to shoot it as a one-hour episode. And then we're going to cut it up into ten-minute interstitials, six webisodes, and air them individually.
1: Okay. Now, for the listeners, uh, we, are, we are recording this on uh, May 14th, but this show doesn't air until June 1st. So the Kickstarter is actually just starting in just a few days.
2: So if not a week, yeah. It'll, yeah, it'll be close, very close to the air date.
3: Well, we'll be sure to uh, post the link.
1: Yeah, we're going to make sure that that uh, all of this gets connected to the Kickstarter, and
3: as we and are team that, players.
1: Yeah, we the uh, the Good. point <laughs> of having you guys on the show is to help you make this work as best we can. To to throw our uh, to to throw what weight we have behind your project.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Uh, there's one other unique component to our show. Uh, as I stated before, it's a time travel series, but it's a bit more than that. This is a build-your-own-adventure series. In other words, not only uh, do our characters alter time and the course of, uh, of human destiny, but the audience can, in fact, alter the course of the story. There will be points in the story where they can decide. Well, do I go through this door or go down the hall? Uh, do I kill the villain or do I let him live? Okay. Do I steal this spaceship or do I uh, blow it up? And once you make that decision, it will take you to a, another separate individual sequence of scenes. So
1: there's uh, there's a big danger to that. I was just uh, we were just talking to. Uh, Neil Halford, who is a uh, science fiction writer and game designer, and whom whom you know, right? Yeah. And uh, the the problem is that you have to go and film all of those
3: alternative uh, alternative story paths. Yeah. So it's not just six ten minute segments; stuff. it's at least seven. I've got more.
2: a little trick up my sleeve mm-hmm. that I'm not going to divulge right now, but I think I figured out how to uh, to get the maximum bang for our buck. And still give the audience the alternative timelines that they're going to be looking for, but also
3: um,
2: some of these alternative timelines, alternatives will help to monetize our project. I mean, if you just want to go through and see the adventure without, uh, you know, checking out any of the good new stuff that we we've got on the side, that's fine. You can just blaze right on through. But you know, you know, for instance, if you want to see Nikola Tesla kill the alien, that's fine. You want to see the alien kill Nikola Tesla. Well, that's fine. But if you want to see Nikola Tesla kill 12 ninjas with a chicken, you might have to pay a buck.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd pay two bucks. Oh, yeah, so our alternative scenes, just like you see on any DVD, the, the concept of alternative scenes isn't a new one. But for our very, very special scenes, um, we might ask you just to pay a nominal fee. But that will help to monetize our project so that as we get down the line, the storylines and the alternative scenes and the alternative storylines will be more complex, more interesting, and at some point, I even want to tell the story from two different perspectives. For instance, tell the story from the perspective of the villain. You know, they say that there's more than one side to every story. Well, let's see the, see uh, what happens from the perspective of the villain. Maybe the hero doesn't have all the answers. You know? Let, let's see what the hero has to say. One of the reasons I love Uh, Tarantino's movie Pulp Fiction so much is because as you watch that movie you can tell every character in that movie thinks the movie's about them you know Uh and uh, as we go through our lives clearly we think this movie our own personal little movie is about us
1: we are the leading character in our own story
2: Exactly, and exactly. no man is a so,
3: villain in his own eyes. So he, I'm sure there's another point of
2: view entirely. Exactly. So let's take a look at it. Let's view things through the eyes of. Uh, let's give it a Rashomon feel. You remember Kurosawa's uh, mm-hmm. classic Rashomon? Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. tell a little bit of a Rashomon story here and, and get some <coughs> new perspectives.
1: Have you ever Have you ever uh, worked on a multi-track um, narrative like this one?
0: um i haven't worked on it uh, quite honestly on any project that was like this one no not when you're dealing with multiple timelines et-, et cetera et cetera like this it's it's pretty complex stuff um um no not at all um I, even on, on if you look back on all this stuff we've done with voyager and things like that it's um there have been times when you did have an alternate like a subspace of uh, a uh, 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 universe and or an alternate dimension here and there but it would only be one alternate timeline Um, you didn't have the option of bopping around in different timelines and going in and out of things like that. This is, it it can be fairly complicated, um, in terms of how it's, uh, you know, how it's structured. In terms of writing, it's, it's a tricky bit to write and you have to know what you're doing, uh, to execute this properly. So, yeah, I I haven't, I haven't had experience up to, up to this point. So it should be very interesting to, to delve into that, you know? Uh Uh-huh.
2: This is going to be an exercise in nonlinear storytelling, and it, it is going to be rather exactly, exciting. exactly, yeah. And and it's going to be interactive. The thing that the thing that makes it different. I mean, we couldn't do this on broadcast television. I mean, the big legacy studios and networks they they can't approach this. But it's the medium that we're working in. You know, the platform, the internet, um, allowing people to view things when they want to view them, how they want to view them, and where they want to view them. That allows us. To present something totally different to the audience and to get them involved in a way that they can't when they're sitting there passively on a sofa, um, totally uninvolved, you know. So is this it occurs to me
1: that you're striking out into transmedia, which I mean, this is this is sort of the new buzzword that I've just learned about this year, uh, where the the story is actually developed across using several different technologies. And the audience is brought in as a participant and not just a passive receiver.
2: Absolutely. Um, and we're going to bring them in in even more ways. Uh, for instance, one of the things that we're getting ready to start uh, our airship, the one, our so called USS Enterprise, is an interplanetary airship that is also travels through time. Um, we're working out, the, the ship itself has already been designed. We just finished designing it this week. And there are tons of components. Uh, this thing was actually. Um, designed by us by a structural engineer in great britain and uh nothing on this design isn't functional it all works and we are now putting together what those uh, modalities are what how everything on the ship actually functions and functions in conjunction with other components and one of the things that we came up with are two smart guns uh artificially intelligent guns with personalities and uh since they operate in pairs, we've been trying like the Dickens to come up with names for these for these guns, you know? Um uh, Laverne and Shirley, uh okay. Ricky and Ricky and Lucy, you know. Rosencrantz
3: did yeah, not mean anything at the turn of the century, previous yeah, ro- century.
2: Yeah. Rosencrantz and Gilderstern, you know what I mean?
3: I mean Cadmi okay. and Lacey.
2: Yeah, uh Scully and Mulder and we just we we're just too many possible choices. So we are gonna let the fans pick. We are go- this is going to be coming out on SurveyMonkey within the next few days, and we are going to ask the fans to vote on the names of these smart guns, and we will be giving them the appropriate characters uh, based on what the fans come up with. Tuvok and Neelix. <laughs> but, whatever. Whatever we can get away and not get sued. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, Smith yeah, see, and Wesson. You
3: could, no, no. See, that's, that's the right time period
2: right 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 but you know we're time travelers so we can get away with a lot here you know what i mean but uh i'm gonna we're gonna let the fans decide and this is not the only way that we're gonna let the fans uh decide at some juncture um i think probably in the second season because we already have we have a mini uh season coming up with six episodes and we already know what those episodes are and we know what the first two episodes in the next season are going to be and um at some point we are going to come to a grand temporal juncture where the fans will decide
1: where the series
2: is going to go uh huh you know i mean i'm not talking about some minor plot point i mean a major direction for the entire series and
3: mm-hmm. we're going to let the
2: fans get involved in that
3: we'll be there and we'll we'll put up put it up on krypton radio website and make sure our fans know where to vote?
1: What well, strikes me—what uh, strikes me about a lot of this—is that uh, I mean, this is all very, very new, and it's very fresh, and it's a fantastic idea. The what the listeners should be aware of is that this is not coming out of uh, this isn't coming out of thin air. Jimmy Diggs and uh, and Tim Russ are both veterans of the science fiction, uh, narrative universe. And Jimmy's, you know, y- you've done, you've written several episodes of star Trek Voyager and deep space nine. And, and, uh, Tim, your contribution to star Trek Voyager is indelible. Cause you're you are on the screen every week.
0: Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the, the show, um, I was lucky enough to, to actually score that series uh, and work on it. And, um, and did, and, 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 and my character actually had a couple storylines that were featured, uh, that Jimmy actually wrote. Oh, cool. uh, so consequently, we have that, uh, we go back, man. We go back in a ways in <laughs> yeah, terms of having worked he's together. he got a, got a uh, awesome. good working relationship. He's got a history, man. So it's all so good. You uh, I, for them yeah, too. I was lucky to have that show, and it was, and it's still out there and doing its thing, and it, it's been so many, uh, years since it has, since I've finished working on it, and since it's been out there that, uh, I'm still absolutely amazed, quite honestly, that, that people still want to uh, to see you at conventions. They still want you to go to conventions. Um, it's, it's remarkable to me. It, it has a life of its own, and it's like a freight train. You can't stop it, you know?
3: Sci-fi people do have that stamina.
0: Yes, they do have that stamina. <laughs>
3: well,
0: and
1: there's something else. I mean, just completely uh, uh, stopping the conversation for a moment. Yeah it's not every actor that gets a chance to make uh such a positive permanent contribution to the popular culture and tim russ you've done that and on behalf of all the fans who can't be in this room to thank you thank you
0: uh my pleasure my pleasure you know for me it's an as an actor you know it's a it, it, it's a matter of coincidence. You know, there's no way that I could have predicted it, or no, there's not really any way I could have, you know, forced it to happen. It just simply happened that way. And, uh, it just happened to be that show and not, I don't know, Baywatch or something like that. Um, that necessarily doesn't have all the craziness attached to it. Um, and, and the ongoing sort of popularity and, and as part of a franchise. So I, it was just, a, it was just a, an interview, you know, that happened to come up um I had worked for Rick Berman um um and uh, worked on the show's uh former uh incarnations prior to Voyager and I think that's just sort of once that track began we just stayed on it for a while and it just came it just kept coming back and 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 uh it kept recurring until it came to Voyager so I have no complaints and it was I was just lucky enough to score that gig you know
1: well it's you created a memorable character, and uh, and it was and
3: you really sold it. I mean, old old school Trekkies were not going to accept just anybody mouthing lines from from you know with pointed ears. You really sold us on. No, no, it had
0: to be done place. right. It, yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't a new character that I could just make up and just put together from scratch. You have to you have to actually you have to come in and do this character. You have to do it justice. You have to bring the basics in you know, that define that character because everybody knows, you know, and, and everybody's looking for that to be uh, portrayed, you know, that aspect of the character to be portrayed uh, honestly and genuinely. So, yeah, I, that was on my mind initially coming in. I had to make sure that I could deliver to the fans um, this character whose uh, species has already been defined and already been outlined and already been seen uh, and well-established uh, and well-liked so I had to get that right from the very beginning
3: It makes sense I mean if you see someone you know who plays a character for Mexico he better sound Mexican you know he better say the right things they better you were were playing a character of color the color was green Uh, (laughs) you know
0: people you know you better get you you better get something right you know otherwise if people are going to be they're not going to let you forget about it and if that character is going to be on on every single week of the show you know you got to you have to, you have to, you got to come to the to the table with all the goods, you know. And then eventually, yeah, the nuances and stuff with writers like Jimmy and others who wrote for the show, they they'll they'll suss out all the details and the nuances and the background and all that stuff. And you'll find out you can work with them to find out, you know, who this character really uh, is under the surface. And then they, the character becomes even more interesting after that. Yeah. You
2: know? Yeah, you know, I don't think luck had anything to do with it, man. You owned that role before you walked in the door.
0: Well, they, the 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 luck comes in being able to... The luck comes in two things. Having the opportunity uh, to be around, to be available, because I could have been working on another project at that time and not available to shoot it. I could have been on another series. I could have been doing any number of things and not been around to not only read for it or not to be able to shoot it, and they would have had to find somebody else. Um, and I sometimes wonder how many jobs I've lost because of that <laughs> in the past uh, on other projects. But I could have been busy, and also I had to be right for that role. Uh, the the luck was with me in terms of circumstance. My uh, my height. If I had been, you know, four foot ten, and you know, shaped like a bowling ball, it uh, doesn't matter what I did in the reading. I wouldn't be playing Tubak. If I was, uh, if I, 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 don't had,
2: know, man. I don't no, know, man. I think no. you could have pulled it off even. No than you
0: man, wouldn't. that wasn't that, <laughs> That's not going to happen. you are not going to do that, man. I got to be able to reach the buttons on the on the uh, console. <laughs> uh, and th- that's not going to look right when the, you know, it's just a head sticking out above. That's not going to work. You know, you're not going to look good in the, you're not going to look good in the uniforms. You're not going to look good. You none of that's going to happen. If I didn't, if I had the wrong dialect, if I had a strong dialect that is contemporary, it would not have happened either. That's not going to work. Unlike our friends on Star Wars with, with one set actor that's, you know, has got a, the dialect of someone from, you know, uh, here and now. Just none of that worked for me, but it, it, that kid, that, that would not have worked. If if I didn't have the right speech pattern, if I didn't have the right intonation, if I didn't have the right body style, and if if I did not know, my contribution was knowing how to play the character, yes, I knew how to play him. And that worked to my advantage. But the rest of it, those other factors, oh man, I was just lucky the ducks lined up like they did, you know.
1: So were you a Star Trek fan before you uh, before you auditioned for the show?
0: Well, I mean, I, I knew that I had, I had uh, when I was growing up, you know, we only had three channels, not like today. Uh, back in the old days, we only had three stations. And uh, eventually, one of them would start playing, you know, reruns. And one of those reruns was either Gilligan's Island, I Love Lucy, or Star Trek. So we watched every episode of every one of those shows about a thousand times. So, you know, I knew all those episodes backwards and forwards. And, and you know, like everybody else, uh, they were extraordinarily popular. And uh, we got to know them, you know. They got to be our our friends, as it were, uh, eventually. So I I I was very familiar with the series by the time I went in to read for it. I had seen it so many times. So uh, by the time you went to uh, high, sc- read sc- high for school it, and college, yeah. by the
1: time you were reading for it, this was as familiar as an old shoe.
0: I'm trying to tell you, the original series worldwide, everybody knows those two characters. Those are cultural icons. You 're not getting around that i don't care where where you are they're cultural icons, and they become you know the brunt of jokes, they become satire, they become everything and that's just that's just defined by those two characters so there's no way i'm going to come into that ball game not knowing who they are I'd have to be living under a rock you know uh if I was born. You know, uh, if I was really young, say coming in there at 20 years old, 21, 22, I'd only have basically the references of the feature films that have just been done by JJ. So but I wouldn't have that kid. history of the old series <laughs> unless somebody showed them to me and I watched them. But I grew up with those shows in their original incarnation and, and then every rerun since that time, uh, on television because again, at the time I was watching television when I was younger, there was only three channels. I mean, if you, if you turned it on, you had three stations, man. And, if, and, you're, and you're, you know, if you had an antenna instead of a coat hanger, you, you could get it even clearer. That's all we had. So, uh, like I said, I've seen every episode of Gilligan's Island. I could you know, probably quote all of them. And, and, and I Love Lucy and you know, uh, Star Trek and a couple others that they just played over and over endlessly all year long. So I knew them. I knew them very well by that time.
1: So how much, uh, how much of an affinity do you feel for the this new character in uh, uh, The Crypto Historians, the first episode, the, the, the African-American pilot who has led this remarkable life? Have you done a lot of research?
0: I have done some research. Jimmy sent me a lot of material on him. Um, I had no idea who he was until he told me about him, and I was flabbergasted when he told me the story. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I didn't know about this character number one, because he was a World War II ace for flying ace for the French uh, Air Force at the time against the Germans, and I should have known all that. But I've never heard his name on a documentary. So um, yeah,
1: it's it's striking. You know, you expect to hear about the only African American pilot in World War One.
0: That was an ace. The Americans wouldn't know. That was an ace. The
3: French sure would.
0: Yes, who was an ace pilot. He was decorated by the French several times. And then eventually you joined the Red Tails and still haven't heard anything about his name. This guy is amazing. Wow. His story writes itself. And with a, with a background like that, with that much information coming into a character, and also having the opportunity to play a character like this, because you never get a chance to do that on regular television, I can tell you.
1: And this is a real, I mean, this is a real character from history. This is. That not, is right, this absolutely. This is just something just made up to pacify the people who are is. why aren't there better black roles on television?
0: This is biographical, and when you listen to, as Jimmy went through his story, when you know that whole storyline, you'd think somebody wrote that and made it up. You'd go but to yourself, there's no way trad- all that could happen to one person. Yeah, it's actually real. He was real, and what happened was real. And to play that character, Tim. as amazing as he is, man, that's a that's a that's a great chance, a great opportunity.
2: Yeah. Hey, Tim, tell him uh, something about uh, uh, about his uh, life in Paris.
0: Well, yes. Uh, by the time he got to Paris, he apparently owned he owned two nightclubs, and they were probably cabarets at the time. Two nightclubs he owned, and I believe he married. Was it a Prussian a princess? Was it a duchess? Uh, a f- a French Duchess. French Duchess. He, he was, married a French was, Duchess.
1: You can't make this stuff
3: up.
0: He owned a pet he monkey. He was friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a pet monkey a named pet, Jimmy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, now you see, if There's we said that, party. we'd get in yeah. trouble.
0: He was friends with uh, what was? He? he was friends with um, who was it? Uh, Jim.
2: Uh, he was friends with he was best friends with Josephine Baker Josephine and with Bick, yeah. the Prince of Wales, right? And with uh, um, uh, Hemingway.
0: He joined the French Resistance That's in World War II. And when they got close to finding out who he was and he would be identified and uncovered, he took off to the United States and joined the Red Tails to fly with P-51s against the Germans in World War II. Oh. So, needless to say, <laughs> if you've ever heard and, and of a Tim character like
2: this... Him. yeah, and Tim will be playing him again in Episode 5 and 6 when we go back to um, World War II. Around 1939, 1937, Tim will be playing an older, slightly older Eugène Jacques Boulard in that period when he uh, is running those two nightclubs and he's best friends with Hemingway and uh, the Prince of Wales, and a right. part of the French Resistance. Oh, this is too that, fun! That's gonna that's gonna be a two-parter, a special two-parter.
0: Yeah. yeah, Once defense. we un- yeah once you uncover you know some of this man's background you know um uh, fans can read about his real history et etc cetera, et cetera. um and you understand who he was and where he came from watching that character is going to be even more interesting you know um and we'd like to bring out some of that dashing sort of i mean this guy you can imagine having all of that experience that life experience you know that he's gone through and, and he's de- is done with what kind of person is that i mean that guy is uh, he's amazing he's absolutely amazing i i can't even think of anybody else who's who's had a history like that in in terms of famous biographical characters that we've known in past i don't think of anybody's got a life like that no one and being a minority here again from the united states i mean he comes out as a you know running away from lynch mobs and things in the south and he ends up you know just a kid and he ends up doing all of this man i can't even i just all i can do is shake my head with this character the more i read about him, the more i can i cannot believe it well, i just cannot believe it
3: that was the gift of france you know they,
0: they i'll tell you i'll tell you and it, and, it, and a circumstance for him to be born and and have the fortitude that he has i mean you got to have something on the ball to be able to do all that to survive first of all and second of all to make something of your life like that to to climb to the top like that that's ah, insane it's insane
2: and i think he uh he won the two highest medals. That the French government can't award to him.
0: To That's him. right. That's He's right, because three. he was an ace. He three an ace. three yeah.
3: medals, and one of them for time travel, and they can't. Yeah, one for time travel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he. Uh, he the, the, the Legionnaires, I think he won the Legionnaire. The Legionnaires' uh, award is the highest one in France, I think it's a and, Legionnaire.
2: And, and he and won the Cru de la Guerre.
0: Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, the French government paid
2: for his funeral um, out of gratitude. He's buried in New York, I believe, and they paid for his funeral.
0: Wow. Oh, my. Wow! Oh my! Wow! Yeah! Yeah!
2: Just an amazing individual, an amazing individual.
0: Totally and, uh, incredible. And I
2: cannot wait. I cannot. I mean, I'm like a little kid in this. I can't wait to see what Tim is going to do with this character. You know, yep. it is an honor to be able to write this dialogue and then to be give it give it to an actor like Tim, who's just going to take this ball and just run with it. You know, going to take the ball just, and run. Yeah, I, totally I can't true. wait. I just can't wait. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps on the back of
0: my So there's other
3: characters in this show. This isn't the Tim show, although that's a good idea.
0: No, there's a Another bunch of day. characters in there. They're um, all, they're yeah. all his- historically fascinating, you know, characters. They're really amazing. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you hear the storyline, and I've described it to a few friends of mine just talking about the project coming up, and, the, and the, you know, it's, you, when, you, when you hear that, um, there's no other reference point. You see there's no other reference point you can draw from when you hear this this uh, the concept and the storyline and, and how it's going to come together there's no other reference point that you can go to and say oh that sounds like blah 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 it doesn't sound like anything it yeah. sounds you know, like no, it, doesn't. it doesn't sound like anything it's, that's been done. it's
1: not only it's not only a, a a unique approach uh it's also a unique medium i mean you're essentially forging a new medium completely
0: that's right. Out of, that's right. out of
1: out of pieces of the mediums that have gone before. I mean this, isn't, right. this isn't just, oh, this is a web series. Oh, this is a Shh. you know, television or some variant of television that's just been ported over to YouTube.
3: But you've right. found new ways to use the uh, YouTube and the uh, episodic nature of, of your distribution to create something new, like the uh, audience choices.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, it's not right. exactly
3: it's not exactly
1: a computer game either, but it has elements of all three of
2: those. Right. This is this is it's time for this to happen. The it's technology is there, and time. now uh, storytellers, people who create content like myself, now we finally got the tools to really uh, explore the art and the science of, of storytelling. You know, yeah. And and we don't have to be constricted by what's gone before. And, Especially with young people today, our our new audience, they don't want to uh have to structure their lives around seeing uh their favorite show at eight o'clock on Thursday night. You know what I mean? They want yeah. to see yeah. what they want to see, when they see it, where they want to see it on on a multitude of different platforms
0: yeah, we are um, there. we are definitely there now, man, as far as all that goes there's, had there's three three it's when yeah on demand
2: TV
3: stations. Did. Yeah. uphill both ways yeah, yeah. Well, I'm it's the on snow. in the
0: snow it's on demand and it's uh Ugh. and the interactive nature of it is also the time has come you know it's 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 time for all that
1: well and there's also a certain sense of immediacy because um uh you as you go i mean you are aware of the development of new events within the show or within the series and uh, so that you can share that sense of immediacy with, with the fans, or if you're a fan you can share that sense of immediacy with other fans and talk about it uh, this, is, this is actually kind of uh, kind of the way the radio show you're on right now works, uh, right. we're on every Saturday night at 9pm Pacific and midnight uh, Eastern and then we replay it again Sunday at 4 p.m., 7 p.m. Eastern, and then a couple of weeks later, we post it as a podcast. But if you want to hear it right away, if you want to be a part of what's going on, you have to schedule part of your life to be there at that time, so that you can be one of the you know one of the cool kids and hear it first. Right. You know, we're not taking it away from them if they don't cooperate. But we, it does make it more fun because it's 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 knowing that you are part of an audience that is hearing this for the first time and that you're sharing this experience with others. And I think yeah. that's an important part of the mix.
0: Sharing. So. Yeah. Sharing
2: and, and, and not just being a passive consumer. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: And then that's what we want to give. We want to give the fans. Uh, we want to give them what they want, even... And I hate to say that, even if right now you're not exactly sure what it is you want, you know, when, when we were, whenever we used to pitch stories to the, to the executive producers of Star Trek, to Brandon Brogger or Ron Moore or these guys, then <laughs> we, they would say, you know, of course we want to know, well, what kind of stories are you looking for when you first get started pitching these guys, you know, and they'll say, you know what? I don't know what I want, but I'll know it when I see it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you
2: know? And I think, that's, to a large degree, that's what's going on with the fans right now. I mean, there are so many different avenues to go through. I mean, all these different forms of entertainment and communication. It seems at first they're competing with each other. But, you know, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're competing. I think they're settling down into a new um, a new status quo that none of us really have the vision yet to... to to anticipate you know when it gets there we'll know it when we see it
1: well and there's a there's an important factor that a lot of producers miss and that is that uh there are a lot of really cool things about the shows that are popular you know the, the ones that the fans really really love there are a lot of cool things about it but if you try to dissect it and dismantle it and try to reconstruct Cool from your box of parts. It doesn't work.
2: No. And no. Uh,
1: the determining factor is: Does this effort have its own central spirit, to which, uh, uh, for which it is not reliant, or for? Uh, uh, and this is the part I'm going to be editing out. This is uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> Forty-four minutes and uh, fact, <laughs> six minutes and forty-four seconds. I'm just making a note of this because right. this is where I'm going to do my edit. Uh, let me re- let me rephrase that. Um, you can't you can't just you can't just uh, reassemble uh, a, a popular show from a bag of parts after having made notes on what made a show popular. Uh, because mm. what you're going to do is you're going to miss the essence of the entire creature you just dissected, right, and it's that essence that makes it what it is and um uh, I believe that your project has that it does not owe its life and lifeblood to some other show that that you've dissected and try to to uh to take its success and recreate it.
3: It's not a um, knockoff of anything. It's not trying to be Star Trek. It's not trying to be Doctor Who. It's not trying to be anything else but what it is.
2: You know, one of the things, I, I couldn't believe when when I got to, uh, to actually come up to Paramount and, and and talk to the producers about my ideas, and then I saw my ideas on the screen. Star- you know, I was incredulous at first. You know what I mean? Because I was such a Star Trek fan. Ooh. But the one thing thing that kept me selling episodes was because I was such a fan of the show I would I was able to immerse myself so much into it you know that I would ask okay if I lived here or if I was on this ship with Tim I mean what what would I want to see happen next you know and that kind of philosophy got me two and three steps ahead of where the show was and so I was able to come in and say hey guys what about this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What if, yeah. what if this happened? You know what I mean?
0: So yeah. ultimately,
2: I don't think the only reason I was able to do that was because I was such a fan, because I loved it so much, you know? And because I am ultimately a, a geeky fanboy, you know, I'm asking myself, God, what do I really, really want to see? You know what I mean? And when I answer that question, and I'm truthful and I'm honest with myself, uh, crypto historians is kind of like what I came up with. You know what I mean? Uh uh-huh. And so, it's a real... It's a real labor of love, but I also get to be incredibly self-indulgent. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: I know yeah. exactly what and, you and,
2: mean. And, yeah, and satisfying my own uh, selfish curiosity.
1: A lot of the fan productions a lot of the, the fan shows that are made around these various projects uh, using somebody else's intellectual property, their fire and their enthusiasm for the worlds that others have created is what lifts their work and carries them along. And uh, uh, it's their dreams that make it happen. Yeah. And then eventually these, the, these people who have done so much work, excuse me, my throat's a little dry. Who have done so much work on making these other visions real can apply them uh, apply this energy to making their own visions real, and this is where we get things like uh, well, uh, this is where we get new things like your project.
2: Um, Well, as a matter of fact, you know we we we've got input coming in from the fans even now. Um, There have been some real hardcore steampunk fans out there who have already contacted me, uh, and then we get into these little discussions and I find out, well, maybe they have a talent here or talent there. Um, the flag for the crypto historians was actually designed by one of these fans, steampunk fans. His name is Tom True True Love. <laughs> That's and um, he That's one what of a, his
1: what a great yeah, name,
2: yeah. Yeah, Tom True Love. I couldn't have made that up, huh? Yeah. And uh, and Tom He's 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 uh he's one of these, um, highly intelligent, highly gifted, highly uh, imaginative people that have latched onto the steampunk thing bec- because it allows him to express his creativity fully. And so he's you know talking to me about this, and we're getting into all these great conversations. And then I find out you know the guy's got some skill at making flags. So he start you know we start battering around a few ideas. Next thing you know he emails me with something, and it's so fantastic. I asked his permission. I co-opted it in into the show. And if you go to our Facebook page, you can see Tom's flag waving, the CGI version of it, waving in the breeze. You know oh, what that's I mean? It's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, Tom introduced me to a uh, structural engineer in Great Britain who lives in uh, uh, British, the names of British c- cities are always so wonderful. Nottinghamshire. Yeah. <laughs> So this, this structural engineer who lives in Nottinghamshire, by the name of Chris Newsted, and he started saying, hey, you know, uh, have you, did you ever think about putting this on your ship and that on your ship? And so we started bouncing around ideas, and next thing I knew, my God, this incredible. Tim has seen it. This incredible airship just grew organically out of these conversations, and it was so good. It was so amazing. It was so inc- incredible. You know, I said... Chris, I got to use this. Boom! It's in there. Yeah,
1: wow. we were. We were. actually know a number of uh, of uh, creative, uh, steampunk you know, creative steampunk also people. Creative steampunk people, also
3: military but... recreation people. I've, I, you know, yes. now I have this idea of of contacting some of my friends who were, who do the World War II recreation on both sides of the
1: of the war. Well, not, not to mention some of the professional prop makers we know who've worked on Star Trek, like. Max Cervantes.
3: Well, that's true. Max wants to be on our show. By the way, we gotta get him.
1: Oh, get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! Yeah, he's done. Uh, he's done. Actually, work on. Uh, he did
3: work on Deep Space Nine, didn't he? Well, I know he did work on Voyager because he kept complaining that Tom Paris was the most <coughs> clumsy man in space and kept dropping
0: and
1: breaking <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to to Tim, is, Tim is. laughing. Tim, you yeah, must. You must that. know about this.
0: That's uh, funny.
1: It's like uh, I heard a story that you couldn't walk anywhere if, if uh, if you gave him a cup of if anybody had given a, uh, a cup of coffee, you wanted to stand well back
0: because yeah. you would be wearing. Someone it.
3: Someone would be wearing
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that might have been the case a few times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I smelled. Might have been
0: a case a few times.
2: Hey Tim, do you remember what was written on the on the uh, coffee maker at Craft Services on Stage Eight?
0: No, I, what was it? No.
2: There was a, it's one of the, uh, since we're talking about coffee on stage 8. So um, there's this battered, beaten up coffee maker at craft services. And stage 8 is where uh, they had the bridge of the of the Enterprise, the bridge of the Voyager and all that. It was the bridge set. And uh, taped to this battered, beaten up coffee maker was this 3x5 card. It was splattered with, with stains, and but on that card was one of the most, Succinct things I'd ever read or heard of in this business, and it, someone has scrawled on that card and said, "Be careful of the toes you step on today; they may be connected to the behind you'll have to kiss tomorrow." Yeah, That's right.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, and that showbiz. That's animation. true.
0: That is absolutely <laughs> that so true. true. The behind you'll have to kiss tomorrow. You know, and I, I think the I think I do remember also. I think the first season, my tricorder had a picture of Crow from MST three thousand inside. <laughs> That was Everybody in there for a whole season. <laughs> yeah, every time I looked at it, saw a crow sitting there. Was a picture of uh, <laughs> Well, I
3: heard there were some girly pictures because they wanted two <laughs> heavenly
2: bodies. Hey, <laughs> do you remember? Um, do you remember one of the first lines that you ever said, Tim? That uh, came from me.
0: Uh, one of the first ones that came from you specifically? No, yeah, I don't. Yeah,
2: it, it, this was a line that I put into the pitch to sell the episode. Oh. And it stayed in there. You said it in the episode, and then. Later on, in all of the concordances and everything, is quoted as being the most memorable line of that entire episode. And when I when I pitched, this was the first episode I ever sold, and it was for an episode called Eulogium. Remember Eulogium?
0: Yep, I do. Yeah. yeah?
2: And uh, in the pitch with uh, uh, Michael Pillar and Jerry Taylor and all everybody, I structured the pitch like a joke. And when I gave the punchline. Michael Pillar laughed and said, sold, just right there on the spot. And the punchline was this. If you remember, the episode was about um, uh, the ship going through a swarm of creatures that tried to mate with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the big creatures came out and it started to fight with Voyager and everybody kind of figured out, well, maybe this thing is a competitive male and it, it's trying to win dominance over us. You know what I mean? To prove to the other females that it's the, the, The better creature. And so uh, in the creatures were doing a kind of a mating dance where they turn over and turn blue, right? right? So Harry Kim goes, Captain, let's vent plasma from the warp nacelles that'll make us appear blue and we'll roll over upside down and that should work, right? So they try it, the ship turns blue, turns upside down, the female creatures dislodge themselves from the impulse engine so the ship can now fly away. And then you turn to the captain and go, Captain, it works. It appears we have lost our sex appeal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, it was perfect. The line was so made for you. Only <laughs> you could have delivered that line like that. And it was oh, perfect. It wasn't, it wasn't camp. It wasn't corny. And you could tell that, uh, he everybody really on the bridge wanted it. to bust up l- laughing genuinely. because you just, you know, that Vulcan deadpan, Captain? It appears we have lost our sex appeal. And and that, when you go into the concordances, that's still there as the most uh, memorable line from that episode, and that came right from the pitch.
0: There you go.
1: (laughs) We're going to wrap up the show then. (laughs) Thank you so much, gentlemen, for appearing on this week's episode of The Event Horizon.
3: This is double crypto today.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one will air... uh, June 1st june 1st 2013 uh everybody if you're listening to this you are getting ready to uh go to kickstarter.com and look up the crypto historians uh by writer producer jimmy diggs and actor tim russ and get ready to throw money at your monitor because this is going to be a good one
0: there you go My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you. Oh, and uh, Tim, you get to push the big red button.
0: The big red button. Coming up. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Fire.
1: (laughs) There we go. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. This episode originally aired June 1st, 2013, and will replay Sunday, June 2nd, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Our guests have been Star Trek screenwriter and independent producer Jimmy Diggs and veteran television actor Tim Russ, whom you know as Tuvok from Star Trek Voyager. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and Executive Producer Susan Fox. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by Mark Shermeister, The part of the engineer, by Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Christine Cherry. And the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by the Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for tonight's episode of X-1. Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.